Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Everyone and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. It is uh, snowing to beat the band here in Minnesota. We had a little lift there for a week, but it is a winter wonderland out here again. And um, I'm just enjoying the view out my window at this point. I want to welcome you all to the show today. We're going to do another open mic because we had so many people say that they wanted to call in and talk and share. And so I'm hoping that we, you know, fill the air again with all your thoughts and ideas um, because it really is about us all working together. But before I pull our first caller in, I always just like to let people know who Alzheimer's Speaks is and what we're about. Again, my name is Lori LeBay, and uh, basically I started this company because my mom started on this journey 30 years ago. She's been living with dementia over 30 years now, and I just wanted um, for myself and my family uh, to be able to connect with other people and to learn different ways, what people were doing, and to share knowledge. And so that's really how Alzheimer's Speaks uh, was born. And bottom line, we're an advocacy-based company that just provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort. I got really tired of being pushed by fear. Um, I think no matter what your circumstances are in life, there is hope and that needs to be shared and hopefully that's what we're doing here. Um, by joining forces and sharing the knowledge that each of us has by living living this journey with the disease and just having these everyday conversations, conversations that aren't scary, just like talking to your, your friend on the phone, because I think that's the way that we're going to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with this disease continue to live with purpose. Um, and I also think it's a great way for us to just get everybody to understand the true needs of the disease and the creativity that is happening out there. There are so many resources that um, are imaginable, and it's just about us connecting the dots, letting each other know that we exist. And that's being an individual or you know, a small company or a large organization. We all need to work together because collaboratively we will win this battle against dementia. And I know our efforts are working because, you know, we were recognized by Share uh, Care and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's, and that was just a massive recognition. And and that goes to all of us who are part of Alzheimer's Speaks, um, not just myself as the creator, but but every person who has ever um, listened to the radio show or read the blog or joined us on Dementia Chats or used the resource directly. 
directory or hired me as a speaker. Um, it's all about sharing knowledge and being supportive of one another. And so I would encourage you to share the information that we disseminate because you never know who in your circle needs this information. So many times people don't talk about their own personal needs. They're not sure how to broach it. They don't want to lose friends. They don't want to be a burden. You know how it goes. Um, and we're just so private and we're so proud. Um, but if people see that the information is out there and readily to be had, they can peruse it and listen to it or read it um, in their own private time. And when they're ready, they they will share where they're at in their own situation. So I encourage you to, to like our various platforms. Go to www.alzheimerspeaks.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you can just go and like the YouTube, like the Dementia Chats, our Facebook page, um, all of those things, because that is, again, sharing with your group. And it's a great way to be an advocate that just takes seconds of your time. Um, today, we're going to invite everyone and anyone who has an, a, a thought or an opinion regarding dementia to come and share their ideas, their frustrations, their joys. Um, we want to hear from everybody. And you can do that by calling in live at 714-364-4714 and just push 1. And that will get you into my queue. You can also um, use the chat box and um, go ahead and put in a comment. And I'll be monitoring those over time um, through the program as well. So I'm going to do one last thing before I get started here. I just want to do a, a shout out to some organizations that I think are really important. And not everybody knows they're there. And again, that's our purpose is to, to share the knowledge. The first is Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. And they can connect you to the closest organization um, for you. Uh, they also do an international report. They've been part of the, the G8 Summit. Um, Executive Director Mark Waltman, Wartman will be joining us a little later this uh, this month, which I'm really excited to, to hear what's going on there. The Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, uh, which was uh, you know, it's been around for about 20 years, and they're big into holistic, um, finding ways to deal with this disease without without medication. And they've got some really cool meditation. Um, they talk about food and exercise. So if you haven't checked out their website, I would highly recommend that you do that as well. And then we have some specific types of dementia that we're hearing more about, and there are associations and organizations designed for those particular particular dementia. So if you know of somebody who has Lewy body or LBD, um, there is a Lewy body association. There is also an association for frontal temporal lobe um, dementia. It's called the Association of Frontal Temporal Degeneration. And then there is the National Aphasia Association when people are having a hard time speaking. Um, 
I'm trying to, uh, I, I also want to mention the um, Alzheimer's Studies Group. They're doing a clinical trial. They're in their third trial on tau, and they would be a wonderful, wonderful um, organization to, again, be part of as well. Um, music first, um, I'm, I'm a big believer that music is extremely powerful, and they actually have a portable app as well, and they would be wonderful uh, to be able to check out. Just go to Coral Health, and that's C-O-R-O-Health.com, and you'll see all the different information that they have there. In addition, um, there's Puzzle With Me, which again is somebody who designed puzzles that work for adults. Bigger puzzles, not as uh, bigger pieces, not as many pieces, um, age-appropriate pictures. Jiminy Wicket, which is a croquet game that is uh, inter um, intergenerational. And then I always like to also give a shout-out just to my web designer. They've just been a godsend and a half um, to me. So I'm going to go ahead and pull in our first guest here. I have no idea who it is, so let's see who it is. Um, you are live and on the air. You are are um, from a 314 number. 314, okay. do you want to state your name? Yes, hi, Lori. This is Anita. I just contacted you yesterday for the first time uh -huh. uh, on Facebook, Early Onset Alzheimer's yes. Support Group. Yes. yes. And yes. I'm, I'm very grateful for what you're doing because I feel like not too much has been done. My husband, he was 48 uh, when he came down with the disease in 98. And uh, he's been dead now almost 10 years. And uh, I think only the last year maybe some something is hitting people that, wait a minute, this is not a fun disease that some old people get it. This is a nightmare. Uh -huh. And um, what I'm calling about is that I'm sorry to hear that your mom has been sick now for 30 years with this. I cannot imagine. Um, my husband, um, what I'm what I'm concerned about that uh, all these things that is coming up. Like if you know if you can play music, you will not get it. If you read, you will not get it. If you eat vitamin, my husband was healthy. He was an electrical engineer. He knew seven languages. He was amazing with numbers. Um, he helped. Uh, he ate healthy, being Italian. I had the Mediterranean diet at home, and. Um, what it concerns me now is to read about this young couple now coming, one of the spouses being sick, and now it's not just the Alzheimer's, now it's the family environment that gets um, messed up. Like my daughter, uh, Stefania, she was 14 at that time, and then she started cutting herself and drinking, and I had to take care of her and my husband. Um, that's why I'm, I see this coming more and more now because my husband was one of the few. He was the only one in St. Louis in 98. They, mm -hmm. didn't even, they didn't even want to accept him in the Washington Research Center in 98 because he was the only one. It took one year for them to come, to come back to me and say he might have pick disease. See, pick disease is another disease that you were mentioning, like Lewy mm -hmm. body disease, frontal picks is another disease. But when he passed away, uh, I donated his brain, and it came back. They had atypical Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very frustrated because sometimes talk show 
uh, talk show, they have people on for five-minute segment, and this person is fine. They interview mm-hmm. the person that maybe it's one year into the disease or two years, and can, they can still talk, and, and people say, okay, you know, she seems fine. They lose interest. They need to show inside a house segment with this person being sick and with kids and with teenager um, because this is, is going to stay. This disease is going to stay, and it's going to affect a lot of people. And it's going to cost a lot of money for the parent, for the family to take care of this person. I I agree. I think you brought up a lot of good points. That this, a this disease doesn't affect just the person yeah. diagnosed. It affects the whole family, and the ripple effect can be really strong because we don't know. There's not support out there. There's not education enough yes. to to support the families and support the communities um, so that people can live good, healthy lives. And and for you as a care partner to be taking care of your husband and then having to take care of your children because of reality actions and and things of how do we deal with this this happens so much more often than is yeah. talked about and and so i thank you for calling in and and bringing that up because it's a really really important um factor you know it's one of the one of the bottom line um i think myths that has to be torn down that yeah. this is not a disease of one person and and how much help and support is needed now if i remember correctly your daughter also wrote a, a memoir is that am i yes she talked okay. she wrote a memoir uh, it's called Besides the Mountain, and her name is Stefania Silvestri, and it's on Amazon. She was interviewed some uh, the NPR in St. Louis. She was interviewed by a radio a TV station in L.A. That's where she lives. She was mm-hmm. in some other radio station. But what I'm uh, frustrated is that these interviewers, I don't expect a TV station, but the NPR person, the person that does the interview, he should read the book. And then mm-hmm. she, he can ask the right question. Because if she mm-hmm. comes on and she talks about the book, say, okay, it's another one that wrote about a book about Alzheimer. Who cares? There are so many out there. Mm-hmm. This book is the first one that talks about a teen. I mean, teenagers are hard to raise. Mm-hmm. And then to, on top of this, having your father that was your idol coming down with this disease he's not a smart man anymore he's not there for you and that is mom she's always screaming she's always nervous so she starts to react in a different way she starts cutting herself so on mm-hmm. top of that i had to take care of my husband and to take care of her and then my husband tried to be a dad to her but he couldn't and i was losing her i she started drinking and at that time there was no facebook the mm-hmm. only support group I would get was going online at night and read on the pick disease page, and there were sure. people writing. I would, ne- I never, po- I never posted anything, but I would mm-hmm. read all of it. I was hours and hours reading that stuff, and then one day I was so upset that I print some of the stuff and I threw it to my daughter. Say, here, mm-hmm. this is what your father has. And that seems like it was a trigger point. She came out of it. Um, then we had to put him in a nursing home. That's another nightmare. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is I wish people would take this book and say, oh, my God, 
this is this is hard here, guys. This is um, this is a family. This is not just a person coming down with this. This mm-hmm. is destroying a community. And and my husband ran away, and my friend, all my neighbors were looking for him. People that I didn't even know existed. They, you know, they they were searching with me. Uh, it takes uh, it takes a, a village. For a for a person with uh, a caregiver to take care of a person with Alzheimer, mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of money when you go to a nursing home because it's expensive. And the Alzheimer Association doesn't provide financial. That's another thing that people think that if I call Alzheimer Association, they will help me. Yes, they will help you, advising you, but they will not help you financially. And that's another. Segment they, sh- they should be out there to, you know, saving money is important. Uh, like I even wrote Susie Orman uh, to say, Susie Orman, can you ca- have a show about this? How people, besides saving money for the rainy day, what about if you come down with a disease like this? But no answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people don't care about this yet. Not too many people are out there. But yeah. I'm 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 very frustrated because I read a lot of stuff on early onset support group and I see this coming up more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I agree. I think it is a, I think it is an issue. I I do want to mention that I did um, put the information on the book in the chat box. So if anybody Thank is you. interested in checking out beside the mountain, um, you know, finding strength um, in Alzheimer's, you know, go ahead and and check that out. And again, I, you know, I'm so thankful for social media because it is connecting us to one another and yes. um, ma- making things smoother. So thank you so much for calling in. And, and Thank sharing, you. sharing your Thank thoughts. You. you have a great day. Okay. You too. Bye now. Bye. I'm going to go ahead and uh, call, uh, pull in the next caller here, and this person is from a five one two number five one two. You are live and on the air. If you want to go ahead and state your name. Uh, this is Tam Cummings. Oh hi, Tam. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, I am so excited to have you on the show and have you talk about what you got up your sleeve. Why don't you go ahead and and share with our audience what you're up to? Tam had called me yesterday and just kind of um, filled me in on a few things. And um, this woman, I believe, is a mover and a shaker. And so I invited her to to come and share with all of us what what she's thinking about. So go for it, Tam. Share with our audience what what you're planning. Well, what I what I would like to do is uh, I'm a gerontologist and and I specialize in dementia. Now I'm the the scientific side of a geriatrician. A geriatrician is a medical physician who specializes in aging. I'm the scientific side, so I specialize in aging, and then my focus is is dementia. And I speak nationally, and I've written several books about dementia. But it occurred to me that in the history of our country, when change happens. It's when a group of small small group of dedicated people decide to get together and make change happen. And when I look at the history of how we have tackled diseases in our country, I'm drawn back to uh, what happened in nineteen uh, in the 1980s, which was that we had an AIDS epidemic. We had 25,000 people dying or already dead from AIDS. 
and yet we had a president who was not responsive, who wouldn't even say the word AIDS or acknowledge that there was a health crisis, and we had a Congress that was not uh, effective in, in doing anything for research. So a couple of people got together, and they, and this is, you know, as, as I was telling you yesterday, Lori, this was before Internet, before cell phones, before email, before Twitter or Facebook or all of the ways that we communicate with each other now, um, they managed to get, uh, their estimate was a million people marched on Washington. The um, Washington Parks estimate was that half a million people were there. But it was the turning point in the war against AIDS. It was what really finalized and got us to where Congress began to fund AIDS research, and not with $10 million and not with $100 million, but with billions of dollars, because that's what's required to do research on a disease like this. And so my goal over the next year is to try to connect to people to see if we can't do a March on Washington and be just as effective in getting those billion-dollar numbers up to where we can research this disease and find out a way to either find treatment, um, which I assume would be similar to how AIDS is treated. It was treated with a cocktail of disease of uh, medications, meaning that because of the complexity of the disease in the immune system, one medication attacked this, one medication attacked that, one medication did these other things. And it would be, I, I would believe, very similar as to how we would have to treat these dementias. And so my goal this year is to organize a march on Washington. I think that that is um, just such a huge impact. You know, we had talked yesterday about, um, you know, going out to, and, I, and I've been out to D.C. Um, with the Alzheimer's Association, and it's it's very interesting. And I think it was the first year they said that they ran out of room, you know, for everyone to be there. But it's a limited space, and the, the coverage is on the speakers, but it's it, not really emphasizing the numbers of people and again the numbers to fill the room were quite small to begin with and so um you know in terms of filling a street you know or filling blocks of people um i think we just have i mean that's that's a physical presence you can't deny in terms of the need um versus just filling a room and having it be one time and i think with all of those people being present, those pictures, especially with social media, will just go viral in terms of, you know, it, it's not going to die. It's going gonna, it's gonna to live out there and it's going to breathe and it's going to gather more support, just like, you know, um, breast cancer awareness, you know, has just, I mean, it's amazing what they have done with the pink ribbon. And we need to, you know, we need to come together and work together as one instead of all these separate entities and include everyone at every age and stage um, to be part of, of this gathering. And so I just, I'm really, really excited about this. I, I would love to hear um, if we've got others, you know, that have, have comments regarding this, because I, I just think it would be absolutely fabulous um, to be able to see um, see this, this come about. What types of reactions have you gotten from people that you've approached? Uh, <clears throat> really, the, the, the oddest reaction has been, how will we get caregivers to Washington when they're busy doing care? 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's, that's certainly true. Somebody is going to have to stay and take care of, of their late-stage person. But I think uh, the response otherwise has been overwhelming. We've uh, approached some people who are heads of area agencies on aging, and they're very excited about it. Um, people that I know who own communities for memory care are very excited about it. And um we're really just sort of at a starting point. When I looked at the history of how the March on AIDS was done, it was uh, just a couple of people got together and said, okay, who are the heads of uh, gay and lesbian groups across the country? Because that's who we're going to need to to gather together. And uh, so there was contact made with everybody to see what their uh, interest would be in a march. And then from there was a planning and logistics session, and from there was a final session, and then the march then the march happened. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I mean, the in terms of how do we take care of somebody? I think obviously family members would would some family members would have to stay home and continue the care that they do daily, but that doesn't mean that sons and daughters, and it doesn't mean that the widows and widowers won't be there. Our aunts and uncles or cousins. I mean, this disease affects everybody around the person. The the caller in front of me or the, the lady was speaking about how this devastated her family. Mm-hmm. And while uh, he's not there to go to a march, she certainly is. And the daughter that has, has been moved and, and, and touched in so many powerful ways, who's, who's actually written a book about it, she's possibly available to go to a march. So I think when you when you put out the, the fingers of how dementia touches one person and then it just spreads through the whole family, um, I think it's something that would be very positively received. This is not an Alzheimer's march. This is not a Lewy body thing. This is a march on dementia. When I talk to different groups, when I, when I see a, a Huntington's group, for example, they um, – had put forth to Congress a bill to say, you know, Huntington's is is a a terrible thing and we need to do more about Huntington's, but then that Congress session ended and they weren't aware that they had to put it forth again to the next Congress to get it recognized again, that it it didn't stop. And they said overwhelmingly that they felt left out of everything, that because their dementia didn't encompass large enough numbers that they didn't feel like anybody was looking after them. And mm-hmm. yet their dementia, uh, their folks had the highest, most successful suicide rate of any of the dementias, and it's a familial-based uh, type of dementia. So I think drawing all of the groups together is, is important because any advancement made in one dementia has, has just almost has to overlap into other dementias, and that's because so many of the dementias are tauopathy dementias, meaning that they're linked by the tau protein failing to fold correctly. And and just in a nutshell, families hear about tau protein all the time. So a very rudimentary way to think of what it is that tau does wrong is tau is a protein in the cell that um, sort of keeps the legs of the cell straight or the roots of the cell stable to be able to send signals down. And if you want to sort of visualize this, think about tau um, like one of those old wooden rulers that would unfold, 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 and suddenly you had a, a, a five-foot ruler. Do you remember those ones? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, sure do. And dementia, when it's a tauopathy dementia, what happens is the tau protein begins to fold up, fold up, fold up, fold up, the same way that ruler would fold up and then become a ruler that you could stick in your back pocket. And that that 
folding up, uh, that incorrect folding of the tau protein then becomes the neurofibrillary tangle. So a lot of these dementias are similar because of that basic link of tauopathy folding incorrectly. A lot of the mm-hmm. dementias are similar because of the buildup of plaque in the brain. Your body mm-hmm. and my body has plaque, but it, it's used and then it's discarded from the brain. For some reason in people with dementia, it stops being discarded. So several different fronts to attack uh, the dementias on that are all probably related somewhere. But overall, my point is, if we can't get million people to Washington, D.C., to impress our government that this is a national disease crisis. This is not uh, some some gay guys, which is what they thought AIDS was. This is not um, any of the other things that we've dealt with. This is a national health crisis. It's not going away, and this is not 25,000 people. This is almost 10 million people in our country currently affected by some form of dementia. And if we don't move, who's going to? Exactly. You know, so we we have to we have to do this. This is our generation's call to stopping what is a worldwide plague. I I agree and and you know one of the things that we talked about yesterday was basically, you know, every major movement has been a grassroots movement that's that's really caused significant change in this country. It hasn't come through government, it hasn't come through um organizations. It has come from the people coming together and saying enough. It's time to work together. It's it's um and I, I you know, and I've said this a zillion times, I believe this disease is here to teach us so many lessons. I think we have lost our way as as a people, you know, worldwide in terms of what is important. And we've gotten so materialistic and so egotistical and we've forgotten about caring. How do we care for one another? And this disease is going to mandate that we take a serious look at our lives and our relationships and what we want out of it and what we need to give to others in order to get that as well. And um, and, and I find that really exciting, um, really exciting. And I think part of it's because of my journey and the lessons that this disease has taught me. And, and I always thought it was pretty well balanced and cared for people well, but it's just taken me to a whole different level, um, a level that I didn't even know existed, which might sound kind of silly in some ways in terms of the the depth of relationships um, that is out there and the variety of ways to care. Um, it's, it showed me to be spontaneous and to let go of control and be creative and, and not be, not be afraid of, of failure, but um, to, to be more afraid of not trying. And I think there's so much beauty in all of that. And, um, I just, like I said, I find it really exciting. I'd like to have you stay on the line, um, Tam, and I'm going to call in. I think this is Harry, but let me see, because I'm sure Harry Urban has some opinions. Mr. Harry, are you with us? I sure am, Lori. I hope you can hear me. I can hear you. I can hear you. You sound like you're swimming a little bit, but that's okay. For the most of it, that'd be good. That's okay. I am in the pool. But um, you are. <laughs> I, I, just, I just want to comment on the on the march towards uh, uh, to DC. Mm-hmm. I for one am going to be one of the first ones in the crowd. But my sign is not going to say find the cure. My sign is going to say 
Give me a better quality of life. Okay, now why why I say that is um, a cure is going to take billions of dollars and it's going to take years to find. And I don't have that time. But you can you can give me a better quality of life overnight. We can do that now. We can create dementia-friendly cities. Uh, we can we can make things easier for us living with this disease. That's what my sign's going to say. Mm-hmm. Tam, what are your thoughts to to Harry's comments there? Um, I think it would be a race between would we get dementia-friendly cities in place first or would we have medication available first? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not uh, not at all to be disrespectful to Mr. Harry, but I, I think, um, you know, he's part of that front line. He's, he's exactly, he's in the front of the march. He's in the front of the march that says, this is impacting me right now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just a number on... Um, the CDC's list. I'm an actual person who has this right now, and and what are you going to do to help me? And I think a big part of that is uh, one of the demands that I think should be on the platform, which is demanding that we train the professional staff and demanding that we make funding available to allow our area agency on aging to step out into communities to assist people, to give them a quality of life while they're still with us. I, I think that's a. Uh, I think it's a, a a base of one of the platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think one of, one is going to be research. One is going to be we want medication. We want billions of dollars spent because honestly, millions of dollars doesn't find a cure. Right? Billions does. And with the um, research into AIDS, it was only until billions of dollars began to be spent <clears throat> that we did begin to see progress within just a very short amount of time. It was only a couple of years following the margin, following the, the funding, that we begin to see medications start to come up. And so I, I think it's just it's a, it's a, one of the slaps of the platform of what we need. What do we need right now to take care of folks who are in this, whether they're at the beginning of it, in the middle stages of it, or in the, in the final stages of it? What do we do to help those people? And what do we do to give them quality of life? Yeah, I, so I, I, I think he makes a great point, and I think I think the people who lead the march should be should be the ones who are where uh, Mr. Harry is. Yeah, and I and I I think that um, you know I mean we're starting to see some of the dementia friendly communities emerge, and and um, you know there's there's in my opinion there's two different um, styles. Um, of programs out there. There's the grassroots effort, and then there's the very academic, more medical model, um, which I think is going to take a lot longer to reach the general population where the grassroots um, efforts are just saying, let's get started and we'll improve as we go, because um, you're always going to be ebbing and flowing with this. I, I I think it's a misnomer to think that there's a magic bullet and there's only one way to attack this problem. Plus, I also think all communities' mm-hmm. needs are a little bit different um, with that. So um, one of the battles well, that let I me, let me, if, if I can, Lori, let me give you an sure. example of things that I see. Mm-hmm. I do, um, when, I'm, when I'm back in Texas and I'm not traveling, I see people for the capital of Texas area 
uh, Alzheimer's, or not Alzheimer's, the uh, Area Agency on Aging, the CAPCOG region is what it's called. It covers 17 counties. And for uh, the AAA, I go into people's homes and explain dementia to them and drop their care plan because these are folks that do not have funds that will not be looking at a memory community, and most of them will not be looking at a, at a uh, skilled facility, a nursing home facility, because funds are not available. These are people that have to be taught how to provide care to the end of life in home. So mm-hmm. I see families who, for them, it is only them. I saw two families last week where they were the only caregiver in their family. The children in one family lived out of state all over the country, and in the other family there were three other siblings, but they weren't interested in assisting Mm -hmm. with the care for the mother. So it fell to one son to do this. So I see these types of families, families where they know what's coming, they're trying to get prepared for it, and they have no financial background to to fall back on. I see families that have... uh, gained a level of affluence, and are able to move their person, uh, their loved one, into a community to provide care towards the end of life. I see families that are able to uh, move their loved one into assisted living and then finally into memory care. And then I see families that are at the total opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I know, for example, a lady whose husband was a nationally known figure. And she is devastated by what this disease process has done. And she's also very angry with him uh, for his illness. And the way that she deals with it is she does what her therapist told her to do. She gets on the family jet every two weeks and flies to Paris for a few days uh, to shop and relieve some of her stress while her two full-time caregivers take care of her husband. So you see all kinds of people and what their different needs are, but it all comes, I think, basically at the end back down to quality of life and Mm -hmm. how do we meet the needs of people who have no funds, people who have extraordinary funds, and yet somewhere in the middle find a way to segue into taking care of that person to give them life while they're still living. Very true, very true. Um, it's it's going to be a, a very uh, interesting. I think 2014. There are there are so many groups emerging, um, giving voice to this disease. I you know I'd love to see the media um, switch and not just focus strictly on statistics, but really get some heartfelt stories out there showing how this disease is affecting um, not just the person diagnosed, but the families, the communities, the workplace, um, and what we can. Can do to to simplify life, um, you know, for everyone. I, 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 you know, I believe a lot of times we complicate um, disease and trauma. You know, we we add to it <laughs> instead of kind of pushing stuff away and getting to the core of you know what really are are the needs. And I would I would love to see see us get even though we have to get more organized. Don't get me wrong. Um, focus on, like you said, some of the, the simplicities of just what is good quality of life. And that's different for for every every person and every family. Mm-hmm. But there's some basic mm-hmm. roles, I think, that we can work together on in terms of, you know, how we give care um, just by removing some of the fear that's wrapped around um, getting to know our neighbors, um, reaching out, you know, smiling, 
you know, assisting people in, in small fashions that doesn't take us a lot of time, doesn't cost us a lot of money, but has huge impact. And I, I think as a society we've forgotten a lot of that. And um, I think that's part of the education that needs to needs to go go on and get out there. And I also think the education's got to be, you know, it, everything out there, you know, costs money. And um, I, I think the education, a lot of this has got to be free to people. And it's got to be put in modes that are accessible 24-7 in different types of media um, phases because everybody learns different. Everybody has different access modes as well. And, you know, we've got to get to our young, too, because they're going to be significantly impacted by this disease as the numbers grow. Um, This is really going to fall on their shoulders, and we need to prepare them now, you know, for that as well. You know, we need to focus on our jobs and how are we going to serve people. I mean, the list is, it's kind of, it can get kind of overwhelming when you think of all the work that needs to be done. And so I think this march would be absolutely fabulous to get us to bubble bubble to the top, you know, with everything. Um, I did want to bring up, I, um, also, oh, go ahead, Harry. Can I add something? Sure, uh, Harry. I was, um, I was diagnosed with uh, dementia now over nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And very little, if any, progress has been made in nine years. Okay, so uh, from my from my perspective, my point of view is how many more years is it going to take us to number one get people interested in finding a, a cure, and how long is it going to take us to find the cure? We're not going to find the cure overnight. Now the problem is. The people I speak to live this disease, okay? And and what they're what they're telling me is, if if the cure is down the road so far, I may not have that time. So why do I want to get involved? Okay, why do I want to march on on uh, on Washington? Because I'm not going to make it. That's why. That is why I am such a strong advocate in in having a better quality of life because I can tell these people that that are saying that that a cure is so far down the the road I can give them the hope that we are going to have a better quality of life things are going to change and we can we can actually make those changes now if we just band together. Uh, now, I'm not saying we don't want a cure because we do want a cure, but I'm saying we won't see a cure. And but give us give us a better quality of life, you know. Give us those those dementia friendly cities and things like that. Let's quit talking about it and let's do it. Can can I respond to that, Lauren? Uh, yeah, please, Pam. Please. At the March on Washington for uh, gay rights and AIDS research, um, during the march I pushed the wheelchair of a young man who had AIDS. And it was obvious to him and to all of those around us that he was not going to survive to see change. But it was important for those around him to see that he was there 
and he understood that just his presence of being there gave other people more fire to mm-hmm. continue on with this. Uh, the, the March on Washington in 87 was the first time the AIDS quilt had been displayed. And it was a, it, it just had such an impact on people who were very rah, rah, rah during March and then you go back to your hometown and you go back to your job and you go back to your stuff and you kind of forget it all. But it left an impression in people. And when Mr. Harry talks about he's not going to be here to see a cure, yeah, that's that's probably true. But with by the time the march finished and research began because of the march, because Congress saw this is the will of the people, um, it, it was just a few years before medications begin to be on the market. And a couple of years, three years, five years, even ten years is better than this hopeless thing we're doing right now. The second thing that that, um, Mr. Harry said that struck me was that he had been told um, nine years ago, I believe you said, sir, that you have dementia, and my next question is, which dementia do you have? Um, In nine years, has has no one figured out which one of these dementias you have? I mean, I think education is such a key component of what we need to to ask for and, and to demand because... Being told you have dementia is not an answer. There there are types of dementia. Which one do you have? That determines the length of the disease. Is there treatment available? What's the treatment available? How do we respond to um, the cognitive decline within a person? And that's all based on knowing which dementia this is. So I think education um, for caregivers and for family members, for people with dementia, has to be uh, a, a founda- foundation of, of our platform as to things that we are demanding. What the government has put forth currently in, in terms of monies for education, if you add up the CNAs, the nurses, the social workers, the doctors, the, the working staff that works with this across our country, if you simply add those numbers up and divide them into the amount of money that the government has proposed for education, it comes down to something like 50 cents per person will be spent on education. And while I teach dementia education all year long, I cannot teach someone anything about dementia in 50 cents worth of time. There's (laughs) nothing you can teach somebody about dementia in in 30 seconds. It's not possible. So we have to be realistic. We can't do anything about this disease until we get Congress interested in it, until they understand that we are, we, we are demanding a mandate for research on this. There's not going to be any magical, dementia-friendly cities until we get money flowing. And that's, to me, that is just the reality of how the world works. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's sad, Lori, as you said, that we've lost this contact with one another and that it's come to this. But I, but I think that that's just the, the reality of it. Well, I, so, I think, um, Harry, and you, oh, I'm going to let you answer first, Harry, because I'm sure she had asked you a couple of questions. So you go first, and then I'll, I'll go okay. after. Uh, what, 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 I, what I was going to say is, Harry, um, you asked me what, what type of dementia I have. Now, when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with dementia, probably Alzheimer's. Now, I can tell you, I could go to three different specialists and come out with three different diagnoses. It happens every day, today. And uh, 
one one doctor is going to say, well, uh, you have you have Alzheimer's. Uh, another one's going to say you have this, you have that. I can I can name at the top of my head so many people that was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and then re-diagnosed with Lewy bodies. And that's because doctors don't know. That's that's one of the problems. And that, that's one of the things that I want changed, you know. And that has nothing to do with the cure. That has has everything to do with, with, with doctors knowing what they're doing. Uh, another thing is, is we have to teach people how to communicate with us. Okay, I know so many people. I visit. I visit a um, a nursing facility constantly, and I'm talking to patients. I'm observing, and people don't know how to talk to someone living with dementia because we don't teach them. But you know what? We can teach them right now, and if somebody is able to communicate with the loved one, then that's improving the quality of life. Those are the types of things that we can change now. Well, Harry, to me this goes back to the the government saying they're giving money for education, and when you break that money down, it comes out to 50 cents a person. In the state of Texas, the state says that to work in a memory care community, you need eight hours of training. And I've studied dementia for 20 years, and I can talk for eight hours about dementia and begin to scratch the surface of it. In terms of diagnosing, you're absolutely correct. The bulk of diagnosing done in our country is done by general practitioners, and that's not that general practitioners are bad. It's just that they're, they're the largest group of doctors that we have, so diagnosis falls to them. I say that that becomes part of our education component. To me, telling somebody that they have dementia and and to come back and see them in six months is the same as saying to you, you have cancer, come back and see me in six months. You would never stand for it. You would say, who is my specialist? What kind of cancer is this? Who is going to second this diagnosis? Where am I going to go for treatment? Is this terminal? What is my lifespan? What is it I can expect? And we don't do that yet. In terms of Lewy body, Lewy body is most frequently misdiagnosed as Alzheimer's disease on average three times before a specialist realizes that this person doesn't have Alzheimer's disease, they have Lewy body. So, uh, again, I would encourage you to find a neurologist who specializes in dementia so that you can get a finite definition of what you have. The the testing today for Alzheimer's disease is 100% accurate. They can do uh, a spinal tap and and with 100% accuracy determine whether or not you have Alzheimer's. And there's a big difference between whether you have Alzheimer's or Lewy body, especially in terms of how the very final part of your life will be, how quickly you will advance towards death. So as a gerontologist, to me, it's critical that I know which type of dementia a person has and as a person with dementia, to me, it's unconscionable that that, that no one is is giving you the correct answer. You should not get but three see, different answers. That says to me, we need to find you a better physician. But see, to me, it doesn't matter. Okay, I know I have I know I have dementia. I know that. Now, does it matter to me what what uh, what type of dementia I have? Well, it matters to my doctors because that's how they treat me. 
So that's their problem, not mine. Their job is to find out what type I have. As far as as me as a patient, it doesn't matter to me what type what type I have because I know I know what the end result is. I've been around for nine years. I've been around this disease. I've been around people suffering from this disease, but. The education part goes a lot further than just educating doctors. The, the education goes as far as first responders. If I have a heart attack and I have a EMT come into my home to, to, to treat me and he doesn't understand dementia, I could die through this. That's the kind of education that, that I am pushing for. I want, I want first responders to be be trained on on treating us with with Alzheimer's. Uh, I want uh, when I go out to eat, the way the way the things we have to go through just to order a meal because people don't understand. They don't understand us. If I order a cup of coffee, I have to answer twenty questions before I get a cup of coffee, and that's. Do you want decaf? Do you want regular? Do you want sugar? Do you want cream? It goes on and on and on. That's the kind of education I think is very important now. You know, I um, and I, I agree with Harry. I think that that's um, a critical, critical piece that that needs to be done as well. And you know, there are. Um, I know money is needed, but I think sometimes um, money can be used as an excuse for us not to push forward, um, you know, to get something done. And so with dementia-friendly businesses and communities, those are things people can can tackle and can incorporate. Um, they can use their their funding a little bit different. They can use their staff in different ways. And, you know, we're seeing this grassroots effort really come in play. And even though it started in the U.K. and they they started out, um, you know, all as volunteers, there are some groups that are, are doing more and, and funding is following. But I think it's because of the grassroots effort of people, of, of the organizations feeling we've got to wrap our arms around this or we're going to totally lose control <laughs> of of you know the direction that things are going and um so it, to me as in some ways um i see things almost working in reverse um with some of the larger organizations they come in after the fact because they see that the grassroots efforts not going away and if they want to keep their name strong they almost have to associate you know with uh with the cause and and try to get in there and and manipulate it a little bit but you know i i'm seeing things like even you know watertown which is a, it's a small town a small movement um but you know there's one company that said hey we want to make a difference and they decided to you know put that in somebody's job description to start a coalition and they they see the importance of educating and um you know they had me out there to kind of do a kickoff and open up a memory cafe. And the group that pulled together was amazing. And it was very diverse from chiropractors and dentists to city council um, to, you know, coffee shops um, to just individual um, members of the community saying, I will volunteer. I want to make a difference. How do we do this? 
and now they're meeting monthly, you know, and they're utilizing the space of this organization, and they're, I'm sure, providing treats or whatever um, out of their budget, but it's pretty minute stuff, but it's powered by passion. And I think that, to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes I see many times is when um, people pull together and organizations pull together these committees, people are there because of a title, not because they're truly interested in making a difference. And I think when you have this grassroots effort that is there because of passion, they just plow through things. They get things done, and everybody sits back and goes, how are they getting this done? It's because it matters to them. It's not a job. You know, it's deeper than that. It's it's um, it's what I call, you know, when I do my training, emotional-based training, they feel the need. It's not just a task, and there's a huge difference in terms of approach and, and how things get done. And it would be nice if the two, you know, if, if the money and the passion could meld together. I think it's going to be a chore, um, and I think it will happen. Um, but I don't think it's going to be an easy meld because the philosophies are very different in the pace in which each wants to complete the task. Um, approach is very different, too. Um, Tam, any comments on that? Uh, well, it just it, it it sort of brings me back to the to the to the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. and and it it, it it to me it comes back down to education in many levels. So mm-hmm. to start at the beginning, when you go to the doctor, the test that a doctor gives you when you say you have memory issues or you feel like you're not thinking clearly is called an MMRE. It's the Mini Mental Status Exam, mm-hmm. uh, the MMSE. Excuse me. And it was developed by Folstein and Folstein in the 60s and 70s, and its whole point was that it was an orientation exam. It was designed that if you fell and hit your head, when you got to the ER room, the doctor could ask you a series of questions and determine whether or not you were having trouble thinking and and therefore possibly had something more serious occurring inside your brain. Mm -hmm. And that the test has become the standardized test that's used for cognition exams. Mm-hmm. Now, understand there's a big difference between an orientation test and a cognition test. So, for example, an yep. orientation test in the MMSE, the math question is the serial seven, subtract seven from 100, subtract seven from 93, and, and mm-hmm. so on. That's a completely different question than, um, Lori, if I give you $100 and I send you out to buy a dozen apples for $3 and a tricycle for $20, how much money will you spend and how much money will you have yet left? Mm-hmm. That's a cognition question. The insurance mm-hmm. companies only recognize the MMSE, yet mm-hmm. we know that a person with dementia can pass the MMSE for five more years before the MMSE score will begin to show that there's problems. Mm -hmm. Why are we allowing this to happen? Why do we not insist that anybody with memory problems be given a cognition test to determine whether or not this disease process has started with them? I mean, imagine if we could give people medication when they only had an ounce or two of brain tissue gone rather than when they had a pound of brain tissue gone, which is the normal time that medication gets started on someone. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a trickle-down effect. When states say that the only training a CNA, a certified nurse aide, must have on dementia is two hours of training, yet we know that CNAs are going to do the bulk of their work with people with dementia, how is that acceptable to us? 
how is it acceptable to us that a diagnosis of dementia is given and not a diagnosis of which dementia is it? How is it going to progress? And and, and on this part, I, I disagree with Mr. Harry. I need to know what dementia you have because your children need to know what dementia you have. As a professional, I need to know which dementia you have because it determines how quickly the dementia is going to advance. It determines how you will move through the stages of dementia, and it determines how your final year of life will be. Will your final year of life actually be about 40 weeks, or will your final year of life be two weeks? So it, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's critical that we train people to find out these questions because that pressure is only going to come from us. It's only going to come from people going back to their doctor going, I'm sorry, dementia is not enough. I need to know which dementia it is. I need to know for my family because this is now a medical history thing that my grandchildren will be asked about. Do you have anybody in your family with a history of dementia? The same way they're asked about heart disease, diabetes, or cancer. It's it's, it's critical that we get this information out there. And then I think you begin to get the trickle-down effect of the waitress who understands that you don't need 20 questions for coffee. Coffee means bring me coffee and bring me creamer and sugar, and I'll add those if I need them. I mean, I, I, I get that. But I, I don't think we can just sort of arbitrarily try to shoot out into the, into the community these things and hope they take. Dementia is a disease of the brain that must affect two lobes of the brain in order for it to be called dementia, the dementias move through the brain in a progressive manner that's somewhat predictable. As each lobe of the brain is affected, the person then begins to lose the ability to do certain things or they begin to do certain things they wouldn't have done in the past. And those things that they do, those behaviors are all clues to us as to where they are in the disease process and what's happening in their brain. But until we understand that from the top and it trickles down, it's it's difficult for me to to try to imagine how else we can we can move this this conversation forward into the community. Mm-hmm. Now, the, Harry, the thing that it is, Laurie, I want I want a mm-hmm. I want a T-shirt that says dementia makes me mad because I'm I'm mad mm-hmm. about this. As a country, we are falling flat on our face. We're not helping Harry. We're mm-hmm. we're, we're we're not doing anything for the Harrys and the and the Loises and the Marys and the and the Bettys and the Isoras and all the people that we know that have this disease, we're not doing justice to them and we're not doing justice to the families. And it makes the, me the, angry. The, the thing the thing is though Carrie is is um when when you when you're given a um any type of a mini test that might that might uh indicate that you might have have some kind of memory problem, what happens after that is to my knowledge there's there's no test that they can give me that number one I can afford, uh, number two that's going to pinpoint exactly what my dementia type is. So what they do is they give me a battery of tests to eliminate other things. They they rule out tumors and stuff like that. I went through so many uh, MRIs and, and scans and blood tests and things. And it wasn't it wasn't to determine the type of dementia I have, but rather it was determined to rule out anything else. And now that's that's a clear indication to me that that our science doesn't understand this this disease. But, but that's I mean, how there's, I there's no, that's how it, yes, sir. There, there's, 
I'm losing my my my, my train of thought here now, so you go ahead. <laughs> Um, but that is how any diagnosis is made. Any medical diagnosis is made by taking the person, what their symptoms or, or concerns are, ruling out everything that it cannot be, and what you're left with is what it must be. And in the case of Alzheimer's disease, without doing a spinal tap, the diagnosis by a qualified neurologist who specializes in dementia, the diagnosis is considered to be 98% accurate. And it's pretty much... The, the same for the other dementias that a person might have. An MRI is designed to show very finite damage within the brain. So, for example, some people may have a type of vascular dementia where their stroke activity is so tiny that it doesn't really show on a CAT scan, but it will show in an MRI. So that you've mm-hmm. had MRIs tells me that, you know, they've been looking for something. And, the, you know, the, the scanning test, show very distinctly how an FTD lights the brain up differently than Alzheimer's disease does and how Alzheimer's disease lights the brain differently than Parkinson's dementia does. So some of these tests are are incredibly accurate. But it, it, it brings me back to the thing of I believe a person needs to know what dementia they have because their family needs to know, because their caregivers need to know, because the professionals around them need to know, because different dementias move differently through the brain and cause different behaviors, and and that impacts the person's aging process from then on. And professionals need to know what it is so that they can prepare for how to provide care for that person. I'm I'm going to break in. Go ahead, Harry, and then after you, then I'm going to pull back. Yeah, my my question is though, Carrie, if these if these tests are so accurate, why aren't they more generally used? Um, I know very very few people that have an actual spinal tap to determine the type of dementia. In fact, I, I can I can almost say in the hundreds or even thousands of people that I talked to, nobody had a spinal tap. Now, if it was if it's so commonly known that this is going to be a surefire way of determining what type of dementia I have, why aren't doctors giving more spinal taps? Well, A, spinal taps hurt, and a lot of times no one asks for them at the physician's office, and it's what you said. The physician himself or herself may not be aware of the spinal tap test. I mean, this is not a disease process where care is provided by a general practitioner. This is a disease process by where the neurologist is the one who oversees care, and a qualified neurologist is going to order that. In terms of the MMSE being given, that happens because insurance companies want the MMSE given because it doesn't spot dementia soon enough. It's simply a matter of money. They don't want a test that shows somebody has dementia five years before Another test does because now their insurance kicks in. Now things begin to change. Imagine somebody with long-term care insurance who gets to use that insurance for five more years. I don't really think that's what the company intends. Not not to make insurance companies out to be evil and the devil, but you know this is money. Dementia is big business. This, this and, and is, there there are huge amounts of money involved here. 
and more and more people are realizing that more and more things are, are coming to be. We're not going to be able to answer all all questions um, regarding this, but I really appreciate you um, calling in, Tam. I'm really excited about the march on Washington, and please keep us posted on that. I think one of the biggest things that I got between the conversation between Tam and Harry was um, – Tam, you know, you're pushing for the diagnosis and the importance of that, and, and there's definitely value in that. But I think one of the things that the, the medical professions have to understand, that for so many of the people living with the disease, they do not and they will not become the disease. And when the push is so strong on the diagnosis, like Harry said, I just want to know how to live with the disease. I, you know, they want support, and so I think there's a really fine line in terms of respect and dignity, in terms of how we approach that, and and um, a softness in terms of being able to give hope, because the medical profession is not at the stage where we want them to be, in terms of being able to carry out a lot of this stuff, and so I think that's where the frustrations come. Anyways, that's what I hear from families and individuals diagnosed with this disease is, you know what, it's not that important to me what type of dementia I have, even though you brought up some fabulous things about how your life is going to be. I, I think because of all the misdiagnosis, if you're really talking to people who have this disease, you know, and I know that you are, um, but if you have these open conversations with them, they've lost a lot of faith in terms of the medical profession, in giving them correct information. And so they have gotten, I think, much more tolerant in terms of, you know, like, for example, I had one guy show up at a a memory cafe that said, you know, I don't even know if I have dementia. You know, I might have, you know, my dementia might be, um, my memory loss might be coming from chemo brain. But he said, it doesn't make any difference. Bottom line is, I have some issues and I need support. And he just put it really simply. It, it, you know, he wasn't concerned about the name, if it was right or wrong. And I think that's sometimes where the general population comes from in terms of that. And, the, and sometimes the medical terminology is just very, very scary um, for people. And again, we've got to have the test. We, we need to get the research going. All of those things are important. Um, you know, the big thing is going to be getting us all to work together. And with that, I'm going to, um, I ha- just need to do kind of a mid-show um, uh, summary here. And then I need to pull in a couple of other guests. But I really appreciate the conversation. I think it was extremely, extremely interesting. So thank you, Tam, for, for calling in and Harry. Um, I do want to, um, again, just point out for those of you that just joined us, I would like you to um, know that there are um, Alzheimer's associations all over the world. You can go to ADI or Alzheimer's Disease International. Um, Check in if you're looking for a holistic approach to Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. There's also the Lewy Body Association, the Association for Frontal Temporal Lobe, the National Aphasia, there's, you know, Parkinson's, Huntington's disease. Um, there's the Alzheimer's Studies Group, which is doing a, a tau trial, which Tam had mentioned, um, you know, the the, um, the problems with the tau in the brain. And so they're in their third trial. 
And um, again, music first um, is doing some really cool things um, that can help support you um, in a caregiver journey. Um, for, for basically anybody, it doesn't necessarily just mean dementia, but music is very powerful. There's a lot of research behind helping people sleep, helping them, um, you know, wake up, um, eat, exercise, switch moods, all of those types of things. And um, so I just wanted to highlight those. I also wanted to um, run across a... Um, the Optimist Club I went and spoke at this this uh, past week, and they had a little credo that I thought was really something we should all keep in mind. And it, it goes like this. Promise yourself to be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind, to talk health, happiness, and prosperity to everyone you meet, to make all your friends feel that there is something in them, to look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true. To think only of the best, to work only for the best, and to expect only the best. To be just an um, enthusiastic about success of others as you are about your own. To forget the mistakes of the past and press on to greater achievements of the future to wear a cheerful countenance at all times and give every living creature you meet a smile. To give so much time to the improvement of yourself that you have no time to criticize others. To be too large to worry, too noble to anger, too strong to fear, and too happy Oh, I'm going to cry. Too happy to permit the presence of trouble. I just thought that was a beautiful, beautiful credo and something that we all need to take to heart. Life is way too precious, and we've got to start giving people hope. And so there are optimist clubs all over, um, which I didn't even know existed and so I would encourage you to go ahead and check those out. I also just want to highlight a couple other things, and then we've got some other callers I need to pull in. Our last radio show was on expanding your dementia toolbox, um, and all of our shows are archived um, for you. Uh, our next show will be next uh, Tuesday on the 21st. Our last Dementia Chats was on the 24th, and we covered technology, the useful and usefulness and affordability and helping those that are isolated by dementia, both care um, partners and those with the disease, as well as plans for the new year. And our next Dementia Chats is today um, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, 1 Mountain, and Noon Pacific Time. And you can get that information by just going to our uh, our blog. Just go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and over to the right is our blog scroll. Click on that. It's free. There were also a couple of um, great blog posts. Um, one was about making a personalized memory book, which came from one of our followers, um, Michelle, our intern, wrote a um, piece on the many different paths to the same destination. I put a little piece in about Kingsway. I was down in um, Beverly Hills, Florida, 
to host a, a, an Alzheimer's presentation, which was really, really exciting to me because, again, I think they're going to end up becoming a dementia-friendly community. And, um, you know, you just you get people together, and it's just amazing, you know, what what occurs and what happens and the needs that people feel. And then there's one other thing that I want to mention. I got a really fun email from Alzheimer's Disease International. And there are two men who are out doing a motorbike run um, across um, across uh, the country here. And now, of course, I can't find it. But it is on the blog, and it's called... Um, it's called What Does Cooking, Motorbiking, and Dementia Have in Common? And it's a, a father and son um, who are chefs, and they're going to cook their way around and raise money. And I just think that it's fantastic. Um, if you're interested in um, pledging, you can go to firstgiving.com slash fundraiser slash chefs on the road again that chefs on the road or you can go to the alzheimer's disease international page as well so let me pull in our next guest here and i'm not sure who you are because you're showing up as all one so um if you want to go ahead and just talk and you will find out if you're live or, <laughs> or not that way um just go ahead and say hi anyone who's on the line are you there? Oh, they're gone, it looks like. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and pull in. We've got somebody from a 952 number. 952, you're live and on the air. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what you wanted to call in and talk about? Hi, Lori. This is Robin Sanders calling uh, from lovely Minnesota, too. How are you today? I am doing good, and I'm so glad that you called. Um, this is kind of funny. I, I've known Robin um, for a couple of years now, but haven't seen him um, at networking meetings. I just have been too busy to be able to go. But I had a client um, who had a client who was looking for a new product. And so I went out and I did some research, and poof, there showed up Robin. So I, I got a hold of him late last night. I thought I would just get his voice message, and at 10 o'clock at night he answered the phone, and I said, you have to call in and tell people about your your product because I hear people wanting this all the time, and there's just not much out there to pick from. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce what you're up to. All right. Thanks a lot, Lori. You know, our company is Locate You, and uh, we first want to tell you that we really want to focus on prevention and education because uh, we all plan for fires at home and we do fire drills, but for somebody missing and with Alzheimer's and dementia, we know that disorientation and being lost is part of the diagnosis. So we want to First of all, get people educated that they have a plan. If somebody goes missing um, or gets lost, what is the actions that they're going to take? Mm -hmm. um, are they going to call a friend? Do they have any type of device that actually will make a difference in changing how they handle that person? Uh, I 
come from a medical background and I worked with long-term care, and we found that one of the number one placements for nursing home was somebody getting lost or wandering. It's time to put them in a memory care unit. And we know that chemical and physical restraints generally make things worse with Alzheimer's disease. So we really are trying to empower the family, empower the caregiver. Existing technology that's out there, a lot of it we had to dial 911, uh, get the law enforcement involved with it, and sometimes there was delays in that. And we want to empower the family and the caregiver to safely take care of their loved one at home. So we came up with, we looked at the user perception of the person at home. You know, we have the people that fall and they put their emergency pennant around their necks and they have that label, I'm a faller. So a lot of times there's resentment by the person that doesn't want to wear the device. So we looked at how can we make this more user-friendly. So Locate U came up with a device that actually looks like a watch and wears like a watch and it's something that they don't feel like they're labeled and it stands out uh, as they're labeled as a wanderer, so they actually look like a normal person and, and can fit in with society. So that's an important piece that we have, that the user perception. We also worry about the family. Do they have a, another tool now that they can enable and take care of their family? And one of the, the problems with a lot of the devices that were out there is they work on cellular and GPS, and it's very battery-intensive. So people caring for somebody really had to do a lot of charging and uh, a lot of uh, working with the Internet, and we found a lot of the users out there just aren't that tech savvy. So we needed to actually make it simple. And what Locate U came up with is a watch that works on radio frequency, GPS, and the cellular network. So what happens with our device is we have a portable receiver that looks almost like a little cell phone that creates a safe zone around the house and generally it's anywhere between 10 and 100 yards and we set that range on the receiver. So if somebody goes out beyond that, that receiver is going to beep like a truck backing up. So we want to prevent that person from going out. The GPS and the tracking is nice, but we want to have something to prevent that from happening. So if our loved one walks out the door, that beeping sound, we're going to have to go out, and I always say it's like the fire prevention or fire drill. We know the approximate range that our loved one can get, and we go out the door and we look for that person. If we can't find them, then we have a backup that we can enable the cellular network and GPS tracking, and we can actually track anyone anywhere in the U.S. Mexico, Canada will come on board here in uh, February here. Um, Locate U is active in the UK, Europe, Australia, South America, uh, Africa. So we're, we're actually worldwide. It's actually tested in 60 countries. Uh, one of the other pieces with the, with the device it is lockable. So you can actually put it on somebody and it actually has a lock that requires a special tool for removal. We also were concerned about... Uh, Sensitivity is a hypoallergenic band, so it's actually easy on the skin. There's very minimal contact with it. 
It does have a panic button that requires a person to push the panic button for around five seconds that if their cognitive level is up, that they were at home, it actually would send a signal to the family or the caregiver. And it actually will send an email and a text message. So say if I left mom or dad at home and uh, he wanders out the door, I'm going to get a text message and an email saying that he's going out the door. Or if he pushes that panic button on the side saying I'm in trouble, it's going to send an alert that he needs help, and it actually will give a location. And once they get out, we can actually enable what's called live tracking. And this would, anybody that has a username and password can go onto the website, uh, enable the live tracking, and we can track as fast as every two minutes, which actually will lay down a trail as fast as every 20 or 30 seconds. And what's What's unique with that is actually can update us uh, very quickly, and it gives the direction of travel that they're going and the approximate speed that they're going. And what's nice with our portable receiver is, say, I go to the store, the park, the mall. I can actually carry that portable receiver. And we had a retired FBI agent, and he didn't like to admit it, but he said he had lost his wife at the gas station the doctor's office, um, a lot of these areas. And we, with our device, you don't have to change anything in the Internet. You carry that portable receiver. Say mom and dad, we decide we want to go stay with our son and daughter that lives in another state. We just take the portable receiver and the watch with us, and we can actually use it in any home out there. So there's got a lot of uses out there. Uh, We have partnered with, Project Lifesavers, so law enforcement has been a big advocate for us. So they have actually picked up and actually are uh, selling the devices, what's called a PAL. So we actually call it the Freedom, so those are one and the same if you hear those things out there. What, one of the, the negative things that look at other devices, a lot of them like to put talk and speech out there, but it really adds to the size and defeating the battery life. So we wanted to keep it something simple, something easy to use, and something for the family that they can care for their loved ones and know that they don't have to dial 911 if they go out the door, that they can find them quickly without law enforcement. Because sometimes it Time is, is of the essence, and in many areas of the U.S. right now, there's more missing elderly people than children, and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's time to m- make a change out there. And I know I've done a lot of talking, so uh, any comments or questions, Lori, that you have? Uh, well, I just, you know, I just really think that it's a it's a great great product we um i just put it in the chat box too so if listeners want to um, go ahead and and get the website and if you want to go ahead and just um, let give them the direct website if you want air because for those listening later they won't see the chat box at all oh sure sure one i'll give you a couple things i'll give you our phone number is 888-423-1887 Seven. Mm-hmm. And Project Lifesaver is 877-580-LIFE or 5433. Wonderful. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull, let's see if Harry, oh, no, I think Harry's gone, so I was going to, oh, no, Harry's here. Um, since Harry is living with dementia, um, Harry, what do you, what do you think about this, uh, this wristband? Does this sound of interest I, I to think, you? I think it's wonderful. In fact, uh, but, but the problem I have with technology is, is, uh, most of most of the people that I know were struggling financially with this disease. They don't have the money to, to buy their own medication, let alone buy some fancy device, let's say. And I was wondering what the cost of, of this would be. I mean, is, is, it affordable? Is, is it affordable for the masses? It, it, the, the price of it is $100. It's fifty dollars a month for the cellular network and the connection. So we we are working with legislation and trying to get. We actually it's covered by the Veterans Administration currently. We actually covered by Medicaid in eleven states currently. Uh, some of the long-term care insurances have been picking it up. And what we found is a lot of times insurance companies denied us because we they don't know how to bill it. So we actually have a lot of what's called the diagnosis. You need to, and you were talking about the diagnosis earlier, but then there's what's called the HICBIC codes or healthcare procedure codes that they use for billing. They don't know what to put in. We have a lot of those things to help families out to you know, try to submit this to the insurance because, like you said, it's inevitable uh, that people are financially challenged, so they need a means to get this covered for them because one week in memory care is uh, is nothing. And, and a lot of the states actually are paying for, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin are paying for the device because they see this as a way to keep families living at home longer. And uh, but there's a lot of county social programs that are out there, so I encourage people to call, say, law enforcement or any of the county programs. We're becoming more and more connected. In Minnesota alone, there's actually seven different programs that actually is covering this product. So the awareness is, is, is really expanding out there. Uh, the device, um, what else am I going to tell you here? is, um, you know, we're concerned about people and the elderly with using the Internet. If somebody does not have Internet access, there are counties where law enforcement can have the username and password, and that can be shared so law enforcement can become involved with us and recover that person quickly. We, you know, we I don't want to hear another tragedy. I hear on a daily basis of, of people going out, and especially once we had this cold weather. I know we had several instances in Wisconsin of people getting out in Minnesota. So uh, we want to make a difference for somebody out there. And, uh, you know, finances is a, is, is a, is a hard piece, and uh, a lot of the states, they're actually coming to us now to try to bring this because, if somebody has to go out and look for somebody, law enforcement is going to be spending anywhere from a thousand to thirty-five thousand dollars. Wow! So it's very expensive, and if we can save one life and, and decrease one rescue like that, 
we can pay and cover a lot of people out there. And the state and the government is actually seeing this as a major issue as you guys are dealing with it on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, it just it brings tears to my eyes every day, the stories and, and pieces that I hear that, uh, you know, you, Lori, deal with a lot, and we, we want to make a difference out there. And, uh, education is really what it's about. Yeah, it it really it really truly is. Um one of the things that's that's interesting is, you know, over in the UK, they've got a GPS system now that is being given away free. They've gotten a sponsor, um Ostrich Care, and um it started out with, you know, a set amount and then has expanded. And so it's it's pretty cool. Um it would be nice if something like that could happen here. Um, for for the states as well, that companies would see see the need um, in the importance to make to make the difference and um, and participate in it. I have, is that something that you're um, looking into at all in terms of oh, sponsorship? Absolutely. Or, mm-hmm. it, something that's interesting in the UK, Boots Pharmacy actually carries the device in the stores. Uh-huh. Uh, in the UK on that. So and we've had been approached by a few pharmacies here in the US and uh because they might be able to have the capacity to build these. Mm-hmm. So we are looking at partnering with those people that can enable and actually be the easy person to actually deliver the product. Because most people like we were talking about need medication so that's their point of contact a lot of times the pharmacies we find might be the delivery of the product out there. Mhm. Well, wonderful. Um I just like I said I've I've had so many people looking for watches and there's not, you know, there's not a lot out there um for people to pick from and so many of them are so big and bulky and and things, but yours had um I I think more features. Um, than most. And actually, when I went out Googling last night, I couldn't even find the other ones that I used to know were out there. <laughs> so that was kind of an yes. interesting process, There's too. been a few, a few that have fallen by the wayside out there. So. Uh-huh. Locate U has been in the business for about seven years, so they've uh, been out there and, and had went through a lot of trials, and, and we're listening to the users that are out there. So those are the ones that actually determine how, what's what's out there, what's what's the need. Uh, our our website for locate you is www. l o k eight u. dot com. Can you say that one more time? www. l o k eight the number eight u. dot com. Okay. Okay. And that'll get you some information here. And, and Project Lifesaver, let me see if I've got their address here. Actually, if they just Google, actually, it's www.projectlifesaver.org. Uh-huh. Okay. Forward slash... Pal, P-A-L. Okay. Um, 
Okay. Well, we will try to get that information here in the in the chat box for people as well on that. So I really appreciate you calling in today and letting us letting us know about this product because um, it is important. And I know it's not affordable to to everyone. But again, Robin had said, you know, there are um, you know it's worth a call to him because maybe you're in a state where you know it is covered. Um, or maybe he knows of, you know, if it's the vets or if it's long-term insurance, um, how to go about that. So it's definitely, definitely worth worth a call and uh, worth a little bit of a chat there on that. So, Absolutely. Again, um, thank you so much for for calling in and all you do. And Robin, I, I can say that he is a... Um, Great guy to work with. Um, I have worked uh, worked with him in the past, so um, you know I think that you'd, you'd be very happy in terms of talking with him and getting getting honest answers um, for your questions there. So I was I was thrilled. Thank that you so much, Lori. Yeah. Well, thank you, and you have a great week. Okay. You do the same. Thank you so much okay. for your great program, Lori. Bye bye. Yep. Bye now. So, well, that was, uh, I was so glad that, that Robin was able to call in as well. So we have any other listeners out there that are interested in um, letting their voice be heard, you know, please, uh, please speak up now. Um, Harry, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? I I really like the concept that his business is doing, Lloyd, that, that they're doing a comparison of what it, what it costs when somebody gets Lost the wonders off, and that's given the that's given the insurance companies some incentive to to finance some of these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that I mean that that's the first time I heard that 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 a business is going out speaking and saying that uh, uh, you know have, having a comparison of what it cost and then what the device cost and they could be covered by something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's that's really refreshing to me. Yeah, and it, it's it's important stuff. Um, you know, again, just to have that dialogue going and, and checking and seeing, it would be wonderful if uh, maybe there's a corporate sponsor out there that, that wants to look into this and do something like the UK so that these can be um, given out. It would be lovely if a... You know, if a phone company would step up to the plate, because then maybe we could get rid of that monthly fee. You know, people might be able to scramble to um, to purchase it, but it's that monthly fee that I think that that you know gets everybody for a loop. That extra fifty bucks all the time. Um, right. It would be really really interesting um, to see if something like that could could come come together. And, and work with people. Well, it's been a very interesting show today. Um, I think we've had some lively conversations, and you know, there's no right, there's no wrong to what any of us thinks or believes, and and how we can make a difference. It's all about you know how do we work together, how do we how do we how do we bond together, and um, you know, the Purple Angel Project. If you're not aware of that, um, reach out to uh, Harry Urban who's with us today, or myself, or Michael Ellenbogen. Um, We are all ambassadors for the Purple Angel Project, which is the new global symbol for dementia. 
that is really starting to to gain some progress here in the U.S. Um, It's very big over in the U.K., but we do have some hospitals that are embracing this, um, putting the symbol in on wristbands for people that have dementia, putting signs outside doors where there's no words, it's just a symbol, kind of like the pink ribbon, to educate people that they might have to approach somebody differently and um, use a different skill set or, you know, um, uh, you know, just interact um, in a different fashion to make sure that everybody is safe and dealt with dignity, which I think is a, is a great, great thing. I'm very excited about being part of this project and, I'm working on trying to get something up on uh, the Alzheimer Speaks website with a specific tab just for the Purple Angel and um, how how people can um, reach out to us and um, make it kind of simple for, for everyone involved. This isn't a complicated thing. This is really just about raising awareness and helping spread the word. Um, you know, it, it, like I said, so much of this, I think it's overcomplicated, and it really is about working together and um, bonding together for for a greater good. Anything you want to add on the Purple Angel, Harry? I am so excited about the Purple Angel. I mean, we are making so many strides. We have so many plans. We have so many dreams that uh, it's going to be an exciting year. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, there's some, I, I, you know, met with this group, Kingsway, down in um, Florida, and they were very, very excited about it. And so I'll be working with them, I believe, and um, getting some things moving forward there. And just about every group I've talked to is excited about doing something and getting involved. You know, the, the ostrich care has made it um, so easy that there's no cost you know, to do this, and um, it really is about having a conversation, reading reading either the poster or some forms um, just to get some basic knowledge, but again, getting people comfortable with having the conversation, which is, to me, the key, you know, it's um, it, it really is about having the conversation <laughs> with it all, so very exciting. If we don't have any more questions or comments from people, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Again, I want to thank everyone, um, you know, for being with us today, all of our callers that came in. Um, And again, in the chat box, there's information on how to get a hold of Robin, who just talked about that new GPS um, system. There's also information on the um, Beside the Mountain book. Finding Strength in Alzheimer's, uh, and I have not read it, um, but it sounds like it might be an interesting book to read. So I would encourage you all to to check that out. One last time, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, I would recommend that you go to Alzheimer's Disease International, and um, there you will be able to um, to find the one closest to you. Uh, There's also the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. A lot of people are going holistic these days, and I think that they would have some wonderful, wonderful opportunities and information for you to see there. Don't forget about the Lewy Body Association um, as well as the frontal temporal lobe, um, the Huntington's, Parkinson's, the... um, 
the National Aphasia Association. These are all critical critical pieces for us. And if you're looking for a clinical trial, go to the Alzheimer's Studies, or if you're on Facebook, go to the Alzheimer's Team, and there um, you'll find information on that um, on that Tau uh, study that we were talking about earlier in the show. And what else can I tell you? If you wouldn't mind before you leave, if you wouldn't mind um, sharing or liking this show so you can push it out to your audiences. And I'm also going to put here in the chat box our um, main page to Alzheimer's Speaks. And if you're listening, um, please go to www.alzheimersspeaks.com. That's A-L-Z-H-E-I-M-E-R-S. And then speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And there you can go ahead and in the upper right-hand corner, um, you can go ahead and share us. There's all kinds of information um, available to you there. And I hope some of you will be able to join us this afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for Dementia Chats, where we talk with people who have dementia. So bring your questions um, you know, to that forum. If you go to the blog, Alzheimer's Speaks blog, you'll be able to find um, information there and uh, regarding Dementia Chats and how to enter it. Or you can also find that information on our website. Go to the About page and then click on Dementia Chats. Until next week, um, have a blessed, blessed week and be safe. I appreciate all of our listeners so much. And again, thanks for the, the interesting conversation today. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.